American dream is dead. But if I get elected president, I will bring it back bigger and better and stronger than ever before. And we will make America great again. I did represent more of the average citizen in this country than did any other candidate based on the fact that the man who works each day for a living and pays the taxes and holds the country together has been ignored except on election day. And he lit a spark under a swath of American voters who felt ignored. He's our kind of man, our kind of man, George Wallace is our kind of man. As he always puts it, he speaks for the truck driver, the beautician, the policeman, and other members of the so-called working class. I like that man. He tells you what, you know, he tells you the truth. That's, that's what it is. He is not a racist. That's definite. I'm going to vote for George Wallace because he says what I like to hear. You're not known to be a humble man, but I wonder. I think I am actually humble. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Very hard to say my name correctly. Like Brian. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. What's your deal, man? Your midweek download destination. I like his style. It's a sort of casual elegance. I'm slaying lame and I'm exposing frauds. This is pathetic. This is embarrassing. Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't die. I am so humble, you can't even understand. It's that off the charts. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the Stone On Air podcast, the weekly dose for what is today? May 30th, the final day, final Wednesday of the month. We're almost halfway through this thing. Time flies. I ain't got a thing to do with whether you're having any fun or not. And so, as I went on and on back in the spring, early spring anyway, that, you know, April was my month. Hashtag my month. June is my other month. It's April, June, and then wait it out until we do it again the next year. I mean, I like when the the uh, season changes from summer to uh, winter or to fall, I should say, but that's such a short period of time that I don't anticipate it or look forward to it or long for it. I do enjoy it once it gets here, but it's so short. It's so, 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 so short. And then it's winter before you know it, and my uh, 38-year-old body just doesn't work the same way. Like, literally, the you know my limbs don't operate the same way in the winter. And so, therefore, it has made me despise the cold weather, at least in the springtime, which is also very, very short, as we are still officially in uh, on the calendar in spring here in the southeast or in the country or whatever. I don't know how everybody uh, distinguishes it, if it changes from time zone to time zone. But uh, we're still in the spring. At least once the spring dis- disappears, 
it turns into summertime, which I enjoy for all the warts that come along with it from the sweltering disgustingness of the dog days of summer. I'll take that any time over the depths of winter if you give me the option. Hello, everybody. My name is Brian. Thank you for finding today's show. Uh, since I have my vacation week coming up in the first week of June, which leads into Bonnaroo, which is my favorite thing in the world to do. It is my favorite place on the planet, and uh, I just love it. And I, I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I didn't go. Some people don't understand that. Some do understand it, and uh, everybody's got their thing, right? You got your porch out at the uh, on the lake out in the wherever it is, out in the Moccasin Bend or something like that, or you got your beach spot, or you got your, uh, your, your cabin out in the woods, or... You've got just that, that one special spot that, you know, you you got to go to every now and again just to get away. For me, it's Bonnaroo, and so I'm really excited about that. So, all that to be said, that is kind of got me into mail-it-in week and a half as uh, vacation week is right around the corner. So, I, I hate to say mail-it-in because a guy I worked with for years, Jeff Stiles, one of the most talented people I've ever met and ever worked with and ever listened to and ever known, would regularly talk on the radio over at the old crappy talk radio station that uh, he was one of the only, well, handful of the only reasons worth listening for years. Now there's almost no reason. But he would regularly say out loud that he was mailing it in. And it would frustrate me to no end. And to anybody who would listen, I would say, this guy is so good. He's so damn uh, intelligent. He's so He's got such a gift of gab. He can make anything interesting, and he's over here telling you that he's not even trying. And that's because the reason he could, reason he could get away with that is because he was so good that even when he didn't try, it was still pretty good. Now, I don't put myself on that level overall, but um, when I really, 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 really try, things usually turn out all right. And when I barely try, things usually turn out at least okay. So uh, it's going to be a, uh, a two-segment show today. And on the front end, I'm just going to let you know, if you guys don't know some of the people I'm talking about, I just feel free to go ahead and fast forward. Free, feel free to jump ahead and maybe get to the second half of the show, which I'll get to what that'll be here in a minute. Um, because I'm going to talk about uh, a guy that we lost in the broadcasting industry last week. And then I'm going to talk about the four, one, two, three, four that we've lost already and not even halfway through 2018. And thoughts on that all the way around and some ideas I have for a... Um, I guess, a tribute podcast I'd like to make. That's going to be a pretty big project. And then just my thoughts on uh, John Johnson. Known to some as John Thomas, and uh, nicknamed to most is a Bear. I'll get to that in a minute. The second segment, the final segment, the only other segment of the show, is going to be about this Roseanne Barr thing. I had several things on my, uh, my list here, and I'm going to go ahead and just read them to you right now, what a lot of them were on my little memo pad on my phone. 53018 podcast, uh, Bakes e- easing lending restrictions, John Bear Thomas, uh, nobody smoking at the, uh, that's, that's nothing else, uh, turn off your effing flash, uh, Weinstein rape charges, Steve Kerr audio, Understanding other cultures, ethnocentric. Uh, sometimes it's how you word things. 24 consecutive Eastern Conference playoff wins. George Wallace was Trump before Trump. Those are all the notes I've made to myself since last week. 
just because I jot them down to myself as a week goes along doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to use them all. On the front end of that, I put together uh, of the podcast today, I put together that little minute and a half thing because I watched 1968 on uh, CNN on Memorial Day night and realized, and I already knew this, but it just kind of reinforced <laughs> George Wallace was Trump before there was Trump. And when anybody acts like, oh man, uh, life is awful and America is terrible and we've never seen anything like this before. No, we have. No, we actually have. We've seen a lot of these things before and America has had major cultural and societal problems uh, for the entire length of the, the the short, short history of this country. And it's real easy to get carried away and get overzealous in your thinking and over-exaggerating of like, oh, that guy, can you believe this? It can, can't get any worse. This is as bad as it's ever been. This election's more important now than ever. This is the most important election of our lifetime. Nope. Every election that comes up next is just as important as any other election you've ever had. And... Nothing is ever as bad as it's ever been, generally. Sometimes it's true, but over, over, over the course of those wide-sweeping generalizations, the truth is, basically, things are always up and down. Things are always uh, kind of a mess, and then sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're not, and we all over-exaggerate. So uh, all that to say, that's why I put that together, a little thing at the beginning of the show. And the things I'm not going to touch on today are most all of this, uh, Weinstein, not going to talk about that. Not going to talk about uh, Morgan Freeman, which I planned on maybe getting into, which wasn't necessarily on my list. The Matthew Sweet show was awesome last week. Uh, and I will just say, turn off your damn flash. If you're taking pictures of the show, please, God, damn, can you just stop? Turn off your flash. Your pictures are turning out like crap, and it's annoying and bothering people. I was over at JJ's on uh, last Thursday. Other than that, an, an incredible show. And into the second segment, talking about uh, Roseanne losing her show. I didn't watch the new show. I'm sure it was fine. I love the old Roseanne show. But I, I'm just I'm curious as to why do we always have to fire people? Why is that the number one thing? Whatever it is that somebody's mad at you about, the consequence always seems to be you're fired. He needs to, he needs to be fired. She needs to be lose her job. Fire her now. Why is that? Why is that what we jump to the conclusion? Is it because, because getting uh, gainful employment is so difficult that if you lose it, it is the consequence that, that fits the, um, the egregious nature of whatever we think it is that you said or did or on social media or otherwise? I don't know. I'm going to tie that all into the Roseanne Barr thing. She lost her show. She had stupid tweets. You know, whatever. At the end of the day, it's not all that important. But here in the uh, first segment, the open of the show, I want to talk about, and this is where, again, if you don't know these people, this is going to bore you potentially. But when I uh, was a late teenager, I started to realize that I thought radio was about as cool as a thing as there was out there. All of the audio and visual arts fascinated me, but radio, for some reason, started to become uh, my my obsession. And by 99, 2000, 2001, I was on Chattanooga State's college radio pretty regularly and just infatuated with the entire industry, the business, every single little thing about it, the jargon, uh, all of it. And in 2002, I went to an Atlanta-based uh, school called the Atlanta Broadcast Institute, which doesn't really exist anymore. There's still a variation of it there, but it was a hands-on training program. 
And when I got back from that uh, uh, course in that uh, summer, basically a summer school kind of thing, cuts right to the point. Like, here's how you do radio, all right? This is, here's how you broadcast. And when I graduated that in September or August of 02, I went to work at KZ 106. Kelly McCoy hired me. And I immediately was thrown into overnights because we always had, we, they had somebody staffed 24 hours a day. We was just on the tail end of the way radio used to be that I used to, I grew up understanding. And the first person that I met outside of meeting Kelly because she hired me was John Johnson. And he was known better at that time as John Thomas. I don't know over the course of his career when he did or didn't use different uh, different names. That's it's a very it used to be a very regular thing. A lot of people who are younger think it's bizarre when they hear of people who uh, use different uh, stage names, if you will, or radio names. Uh, it, it's it's much more prevalent than you realize. The whole industry is harder to understand than most people under, realize just from the nature of where it was then and to where it is now where technology comes in. But people using stage names is quite regular. I do. So, and most of you, a lot of you already know that. Some of you don't, but that's another conversation for another day. So I meet John in September of 02, and he's the first broadcasting professional that trained me hands-on here in Chattanooga. And I immediately thought he was as cool a guy as I've ever met, partially because I knew his voice so well. Junior's Building Materials is the first commercial that comes to my mind, always has, that his voice was on. It was on countless uh, different commercials from radio and TV over the years. And I was borderline starstruck because I had never actually worked with anybody locally that I knew. I didn't know anybody that I became great friends with over the next 15, 16 years, Bill and Kevin and Jeff and, uh, and, and, and everybody from Brewer and now everybody at Bayhackle. I didn't know any of these people. He was the first one that, he befriended me and was a mentor to me. Well, John Johnson, John Thomas Bear, died last week. And um, it is natural curiosity to wonder why, how somebody passes away. And the older you get, the more you have to deal with these kinds of things. I don't know how or why, or how John died. And um, I don't, it's not that important uh, to to me or for the for the purposes of this conversation. I knew him well enough over the years that I can take some guesses, and it is it it, it it's it's natural, you know, curiosity. All of us, it happens to every one of us, but it does come across as shallow and potentially sensationalizing someone else's tragedy, someone else's someone else in that in the family of John's tragedy, and um, I. I, I don't, uh, that's the extent I'm going to go on that. But John left us last week. And I just remember going in overnights when I was 22 years old. Overnights means from midnight to 6 a.m. generally. And I would work every single weekend for about two, probably two solid years. And he was doing nights and overnights in different capacities. And I would fill in for him. And occasionally he would work a weekend if I couldn't. But generally speaking, I was the, the, the go boy. I did whatever I was asked to do. And those first few weeks when I'd go in and he would train me, a couple of things stick out. One, the very first one was, is that the first weekend that I was working, 
and doing some on-air stuff by myself without him, you know, standing there, which was only within, you know, one day later after I started, he specifically said, hey, I'm going to go over here in the hallway and I'm going to start, you know, pulling some, uh, we used to do a midnight snack where we at, where I keep saying we, they, KZ106, actually put real work and dedication and effort into a radio show. They don't do that anymore. They don't care at all, but they used to. It's like, I'm going to go pull some uh, uh, information prep for next week's Midnight Snacks, and I know how it is when someone's just barreling down uh, on top of you while you're trying to work. I'm going to walk over here, let me know if you need anything. That's the first thing that snuck out, because so many times when I'm doing things, I'm learning things, and when someone's standing there staring at you, it can paralyze you, paralyze you. And he understood that, and he walked off. And I immediately thought, man, that is, <laughs> woo, thank God. I don't have to deal with this guy staring at me as I'm trying, terrified, to be on the air, a 100,000-watt signal that goes, you know, covers nine counties in uh, southeastern Tennessee. And then, so another thing sticks out over the next couple of weeks after he get he, I, autom- I automatically feel very comfortable because he is made, he's made it a point to make sure that I'm comfortable. Now, we're in the neighborhood of 20 years difference in age, but we have a lot more in common than... Um, than either one of us probably would have imagined walking into it. And I remember several times leaving those overnights and getting home. I think I was still living, I was living at my mom's house still out in East Brainerd and I would go to the car and I'd turn on the radio and, or put in a disc, whatever, and listen to music or the radio and smoke a joint and just think how incredibly amazing it was that I just spent five, four, however many hours it was with a long-time, recognizable radio voice in this city. It, it, it thrilled me to no end. Getting stoned, having a drink at 6 a.m. in the morning, because I'm going to sleep the next day away, because that's all I did at those times. And I was 22 years old. All I needed was a cat nap, and I could get up and be right back at it. And I was just thrilled. I was so excited, excited beyond belief, because of uh, of a name I recognized and somebody who had moved to town at the same time a lot of others had. Uh, Wendy, who I work with now at Alt. Um, her ex-husband, uh, Dave Lang, moved here at the same time. Dave, Dale Deason moved here around the same time in the 80s, who's been long uh, removed from the broadcast scene other than just voice work. Uh, Jeff Stiles, who I was at that time even, and at a very young age, you guys know how much I idolized Jeff. And Jeff and John worked together at many different radio stations over the years uh, throughout Georgia and then into, into Chattanooga. And just when John would tell me about them growing up together and, and I, you know, we'd be on the back porch smoking a joint and I, I just, I was in awe. I was in absolute awe. And John died last week. And earlier this year, Jim Brewer died this uh, back in February. And Stump Martin died uh, a couple weeks back. And Tommy Jett died from FLI Jet Fly Radio uh, a month and a half, a month ago or so. It's been a bad run here in 18. And I'll get to more of that here in um in just a minute, but I do know that John wasn't doing that well in the last couple years because I'd run into him a few times. He had trouble keeping work. He's in the same situation that I've always been terrified that I could end up in is that you have an expertise. You have a, you are a professional 
at something that just doesn't pay anymore. You are a professional and an absolute high as it gets talent at something that people don't value the level of that talent anymore. Uh, they'll pay somebody to do a half-ass shit show job rather than pay you a little bit more to do an amazing job because it just doesn't matter that much anymore because people are so accepting of mediocrity. And that's true across the board in, in this industry all the way across the country. And it is very, very true. V everything about this city, Chattanooga, Tennessee, which I love and have lived here for basically my entire life. 30 of my 38 years of my life have been right here in my entire adult life growing up in this city. But there's one thing that's always infuriated me and it infuriated me back then. And it infuriated me when I was a, a teenager in the and early 20s into the local music scene and now in the broadcast media and then into the podcast media and to whatever else, this city is em embraces mediocrity. Whether it comes from architecture at times, whether it comes from any kind of, uh, of governmental deals, when it comes to uh, comedy or radio or TV or local music, whatever it is, this city is so accepting of mediocrity. And there's so many people who are so talented who can do these things better, but everybody, and that, and that's a, that's kind of a uh, a testament to the consumers, and less about the producers and the content creators, and more about the consumers of the area. And I think you put the two together, and then you can go from there, and that's a whole podcast into itself. But John ran out of work and hasn't had a much much real good work for a while. And was really struggling the last little while. And it breaks my heart. And I wish I knew more about that. I wish I could have talked to him. I wish I could have stopped by and seen him at some point over the last however long it's been that he's been struggling because he's been out of work. And his his skills and his talents just are not, we're not lucrative anymore because any old asshole can get paid even less to do not even near a decent job. And that's just the state of the uh, industry and it's a state of the business and it it's upsetting to me but so to bring that all the way back around to talk about the four we've lost now we're not even six months into 2018 jim two jim brewer jr uh, officially jim two is his name uh who who is the uh, son of, of of jim brewer senior who started brewer broadcasting he passed away from cancer earlier this year tommy jett he was he was elderly He'd been around a long time, and um, I worked with him over at Citadel Communications, fifth, same time frame, 15, 16 years ago, and he was always really nice to me also. I, I never worked with him. He never trained me, anything like that, but he would, he'd would he always call me a young man, and, and he always had that sign-off on his GT108 show of, uh, shoot, I'm paraphrasing completely, uh, always shoot for the moon because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. But uh, he he passed away earlier this year. Stump Martin passed away, who has been dealing with uh, weight issues most of his life and um, was a fixture in local sports and broadcasting. And then now John Johnson, John Thomas, who a lot of people have never heard of because he hasn't been that big, bold face of a radio station at any point. But his voice is everywhere. You've heard it a thousand times and you don't know it. And that's fine. You don't need to know it. But the guy did great work, and I love him to death. And uh, when I went back to work at Brewer in 2009 and 10 and 11, those are some, those are some tough times for me. 
That that was not uh, that was not work I enjoyed. That was not a time frame in my life where things were going great. They weren't awful. Hell, I was 29 years old. I was still in the prime of my life. But things weren't great. But I was still able to hold on to some work. And John was working there again, too. And I met up with him. And they started Hippie Radio. And the guy who ran it was a, named, uh, a guy named Tony Logan. Uh, I don't know what name he goes by now. But uh, a little bit of a whack job. But I didn't know him that well. And John pushed Tony to get me in to do some tracking and do some work for hippie radio because I just me and John connected and he was a mentor and I love him to death. And his daughter was born when I was uh, first starting to work there. She, uh, Isabella, I think is her name. I, I apologize. I think it's Izzy, uh, Isabella. She makes her about 15, 16 years old now. I've only seen her once since she was a, a little tiny baby. And I remember him telling me at that time uh, when he, when he had, her because she was he was off for a week or two and I had to work every day because he was gone. He said, "This is how you do it, man. If you're gonna have a kid, you wait till you're in your forties. You get all that mess up, you get all that fun and disastrous nature of your life out of the way, and uh, and do it now." So, anyway, I'll wrap that up on that. But what I would like to do in over the next year, and I might look at talking to some people locally and maybe a little investing with because it's going to take a little bit of money. But I'd like to do a full fledged podcast traditional NPR style podcast about all four of those men, Jim two stump Martin, Tommy jet and John Johnson, AKA John Thomas conversations with their family, conversations with their coworkers, conversations with people they might've, you know, gone to school with conversations that anybody who know those four men that we all, we've lost all in the first five months of 2018. I think it would be a fascinating uh, listen. To, it's just me, me just, you know, driving the train and hoping that everybody else fills in all the gaps. Because I don't know any of these four people well, but they're legendary people of the last 25 years of the broadcast industry in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I think there needs to be a full-fledged podcast uh, highlighting their lives from the people who love them and knew them best. And I'm going to put that into my little sketch notepad over here of to-do but that's going to take a ton of work and it's going to need some funding. So if this is something you like the sound of, get a hold of me at Stone On Air um, on any social media and Stone On Air at Gmail. And I, I, I just think it would, could, could be absolutely fascinating programming and uh, four, four great radio guys, four great broadcasting men in this city where we've all lost this year. All right, I'm going to go ahead and step out here and get to the second and final segment of the show. If you've stuck with this entire uh, first almost half hour of the show, I appreciate it. Either you are just curious what I had to say or you understood the importance of all four of these men, but more specifically, John Johnson. And um, I hope I was at least somewhat effective at, uh, at, at expressing my uh, admiration for uh, all four of those men. So this is Tom Petty. It is from his box set that was put out uh, probably this decade at some point. It's one of the best versions of Learning to Fly I've ever heard. I used to play it on KC106 all the time. The live anthology, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, mastered in full frequency, low distortion, stereophonic sound. Rest in peace, my friend, John Johnson, Tommy Jett, Stump Martin and Jim Brewer. 
the second. Be right back. We'll talk about this Roseanne mess and why does everybody want people to get fired all the time? I don't understand it. The Stone on Air podcast continues next. socially liberal person in general. I mean, I'm still the same. You all move. <laughs> I know so many families, you know, uh, that are divided over the election still, right. and they still, like, you know, are fighting and stuff. So we wanted to show that and how our family deals with it. How could you have voted for him, Roseanne? He talked about jobs, Jackie. He said he'd shake things up. I mean, this might come as a complete shock to you, but we almost lost our house the way things are going. Have you looked at the news? Because now things are worse. And Jackie thinks every girl should grow up and be president, even if they're a liar, liar, pantsuit on fire. Thank you for making America great again. You're fired. Screw you! You're fired! Uh, here we go again. You need to be fired. Fire that person. Fire them now. I had this song in my head all day today. This is the Shins. So I'm going to bounce around a couple different things here. I don't know how long this segment will go. Might be a while. Might be short. I'm not sure. What I don't understand is, though, is why everybody wants to fire everybody so bad. That's like the ultimate consequence for anything in life. It's what the average asshole walking around on social media, generally speaking through social media, Oh, yeah? Well, you need to be fired. Delete that, and you should be fired. No matter what it is. Politics, local something or other, something about a, I don't know, strong opinion on whatever. Oh, yeah? Well, you should be fired. I mean, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> because you're pissed off at somebody you think they should be fired. I guess because it's such a detrimental consequence for most people. I mean, if you're a good ball player, you're going to get another job playing on a ball team. If you're a good musician, you'll probably figure out a way to land a gig with somebody playing music. If you're a good actor or actress, you'll eventually probably get another role. I'll Actually, hell, I say that, and maybe not. 
But it wasn't long ago that Hulk Hogan was saying the N-word and, and being a disgusting piece of bleepity bleep. And he's already about ready to be back on with WWE and other other networks. Our attention spans are so freaking short, it's absolutely pathetic. And I think you should use that to your advantage if you get stuck in one of these mob mentality social media mobs. Just remember, doesn't matter how stupid you do or act or dumb things you do, the attention spans of people will last for about five seconds. And a month later, everybody, wait, what was that? What did, That guy pissed me off, but I can't remember why. Why did that happen? So Roseanne puts out a tweet. I don't even have the copy of it here. I grabbed a, a few things from Twitter here to just kind of give you a little bit of a highlight of the way uh, the the social mob mentality is. And I, it seems like Chattanooga, the city of Chattanooga is so odd. It is, it's, it's like Twitter doesn't exist. I get just so little, little interaction of any kind on, on Twitter in this city. The, the nationally and internationally, Twitter is still a massive social media, but here locally, it's just like nobody in town cares about it. So you might not have seen a lot of these things and I've all, but off of Facebook, I use my Facebook page for the, uh, for the stone on air podcast show, uh, uh, you know, to post things going on and, and the show itself and, and updates. And I put a few things out there every now and again, but man, Facebook, I, geez, just, I mean, I've been saying it for years, but it, it is dreck. Facebook is boring me to tears, so I've moved away from it. Twitter doesn't bore me, but I don't get the interaction I'd like, but uh, Twitter's still very much not boring. So so what did Roseanne do? She, You probably saw the tweet by now. I don't have it pulled up. It was towards Valerie Jarrett, which I've only recognized her face. I, they say she's a black lady. She doesn't really look black to me, but I guess she is, or African-American of some kind or whatever. She was a senior advisor to President Obama, and uh, Roseanne put something out there on Twitter about, what was it? Um, I don't even remember now. It was so stupid, I can't even remember what it was. Something about apes, uh, Planet of the Apes, and something Muslim or other. <sighs> Shit, I don't know. Roseanne being Roseanne, right? I mean, this is the woman that grabbed her crotch and spit while she purposely made a mockery of the national anthem. Now all the national anthem fake outrage types that act like because somebody doesn't do exactly what whatever it is they feel like they think they should be doing while the national anthem is being sung now chastise people for being anti-American when they're all now champion Roseanne who grabbed her crotch, spit, and flipped off the crowd in San Diego while she purposely mocked the national anthem. Thank you very much for your conditional fake-ass patriotism, you MAGA types. Anyway, sorry, wasn't planning on going down that road. I don't care about this tweet that Roseanne put out. Don't care about it for even a little bit. I still have trouble even figuring out what racism even is and where the, the blinding and blending of what racism and just pure being an asshole is. Like, I don't know. You don't have to like anybody. That doesn't mean you need to be like you know indicted because you don't like people. Um, if you're black and I don't like you, I don't have to like you. And if I'm white and you're black and you don't like me, you don't have to like me. But I'll get into more of that here in a minute. So she puts out that tweet, and then pretty soon after, she starts getting a lot of backlash, and surely the network and some of her co-workers hit her up. And this was her response earlier on Wednesday, which I'm sure by now you've, you've seen. At The Real Roseanne. 
I apologize to Valerie Jarrett and to all Americans. I am truly sorry for making a bad joke about her politics and her looks. I should have known better. Forgive me, my joke was in bad taste. I don't believe that Roseanne wanted to put this out at all, other than she had the pressure from the networks and potentially her producers, co-workers, agents, lawyers, whatever, that they said, hey, you got a good thing going here. You got one of the most popular TV shows, Once Upon a Time, and you've resurrected it, and it's become one of the most popular TV shows again. How about you stop being a dipshit and stop tweeting insensitive stuff, idiot? That's how I believe it probably ended up going. So all that did was basically make it worse. And so social media was a firestorm of just unhinged, self-controlless, psychopaths, drug addict, attention deficit disordered people all over this country losing their minds on Wednesday, the or excuse me, on Tuesday, the 29th. So I decided to just scrap whatever plans I had because nothing was really formulating to be all that interesting of a show and just go with this. So I went to some of the Twitter to see uh, just what dullards and just random people were saying about this on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, James Beckwith says, well, Tom Arnold is trending. So either he's dead or his wife did something. His ex-wife did something. And that's very true. Oftentimes you see something trending on Twitter and you're like, okay, one of two or three things have happened. Either that person's dead. And these days they've been accused of, of sexual misconduct or uh, they've been arrested on some other kind of charges. But no, Tom Arnold was trending because of something his ex-wife did. Here's a typical, uh, just error-ridden, grammatically destroyed Twitter post from at S-A-P-P-C-R, Sap Senior. This is in response to The Real Roseanne. You've got a nerve, you fat, white, silverback bitch. Remember, apes have very thin lips, just like you, honky. So they are more related to you than they are to Negroes. Tom Arnold was, you're a fat, ugly bitch, you fat, miserable fuck. I mean, this is the kind of dreck that goes on all day on Twitter. So when I hate on Facebook, Twitter's got a lot of dis disgusting things going on, too. From R&B2569, you meant what you said, you watered-down broke bitch. Ha-ha. Another response, what a coincidence. Just looked up miserable cunt in the dictionary and your photo was there. Fancy that. From uh, Kill uh, Bill Hume. Damn it, Rosie. I loved having the show back on the screen. You have ruined it for your entire cast and crew and fans of the show. A response that was directly to that Twitter interaction. No, it's liberals who created a political correctness culture in America. And it wasn't like this in the 70s and 80s. We had freedom of speech. From at Toll Street, what's the problem? Don Rickles made his career offending everyone. Way worse than Roseanne. Besides, Valerie Jarrett should be in jail alongside of Hillary and many others. Yep, you heard it here because snowflakes have no balls. <laughs> at uh, Roy F420 says, fuck Twitter and ABC. At David DeHenny says, you're too late with your apology, you racist bitch. At Wolfram. The U.S. monetized being a racist shitball about 300 years ago. Roseanne isn't blazing any new trails here. 
And then a couple more that are a little bit more sophisticated. At John Brodo, I want to have a media that reports on how Israel kindergartners are under rocket attacks from Gaza right now. Not one that reports on Roseanne Barr's stupid tweets. Can't argue with that. And then from Robert Monks. Damn it, Roseanne, you went and got canceled. Now all the crazy, racist, redneck, inbred, trailer trash Trump lovers have no one to identify with. I guess they'll all have to not read their Bibles, complain about Obama, and clean all of their guns now instead of watching you. So you can see where that kind of bouncing forth from a couple different levels of psychoticness. And that's what Twitter is all day, every day. And that's what Facebook is all day, every day. The difference in Twitter is it moves 100 miles an hour and Facebook just lives for as long as I guess you allow it to, as long as you continue to interact with it. But my biggest question is why do we always jump to say we have to get people fired? If we don't like what they've done, we don't like what they've said, we don't like a social media interaction, the first thought is to fire them. Fire them. Oh, they, 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 he needs to be fired. Fire him now. You know, the, the plane is late. Uh, that that pilot needs to be fired. Uh, you know, the bag doesn't get there in time uh, using the another airport model. Oh, this those, those customs people, those whatever they're called, baggage carriers need to be fired. TSA, customs people, they need to be fired. You go to a coffee shop, ah, this coffee is no good. They should be fired. They don't agree with what I say on Twitter. They should be fired. Why is firing, losing your job, and potentially having your life ruined is the always end result answer to the mob mentality? It's never, hey, uh, fine him an excess in his t- tax returns 500 bucks for being an asshole. I mean, I know obviously that sounds silly. And just about anything else you could put in there sounds silly as far as a uh, some kind of alternate penalty or consequence for something that somebody doesn't like. But it's always just, yep, you're awful, you're dumb, you're horrible, you're racist, you're sexist, you're homophobic, you're xenophobic, you're a loser, you're a liar, you're an asshole, you should be fired. Why is that? From The Atlantic... This is a guy, just a blogger named Connor Friedersdorf. And he writes this whole piece on a bunch of this one paragraph from this. People should feel ashamed of themselves for thinking, quote, I should get that stranger fired. Companies should be left alone when one of their employees does something offensive while, quote, unquote, off duty. Since some Internet trolls will break that rule. Here's another. Companies should expect to get more criticism for caving to the demands of trolls than for letting a briefly unpopular employee keep performing his or her duties, even amid an episode of obsessive public shaming. After all, these things always blow over. The attention span of the internet is quite short, while losing one's job is, for many, a setback with consequences that last years. And have any of these firings achieved any social good? I defy anyone to produce hard evidence to that effect. Here's what corporations should say in the future. Quote, sorry, we have a general policy against firing people based on social media campaigns. We are against digital mobs. And that goes for pages on on, and on and on. But it's a great one paragraph pull out of that opinion piece. Exactly. I mean, we're talking about Roseanne, big stars who can go get jobs anywhere else. 
and get different projects and all that. But this is happening on every level of social media shaming, public shaming, and the internet mob mentality. And ABC, which is owned by Disney and ESPN and all these, you know, the, where all those tentacle goes, are a bunch of spineless cowards. They should not have canceled Roseanne's show. That was just plain stupid. It's one of the most popular shows out there right now. Would it last for a, a much longer? Uh, probably not, actually. Going back to that attention span thing. But it's hot right now, and it would have lasted for a couple more years. And because of the social mob mentality, they caved, and they and they canceled a show that was already renewed for a second season that was getting big-time money and big-time revenue and big-time ratings. Cowards. More and more cowards. Because self-control is a major problem on every single walk of life. Whether it's the self controlless from the, the, the mob mentalities that can't stop, or to the CEOs, or the shareholders, or to the social media directors of these big-time conglomerates who also don't have any self-control and can't just say, Listen, dipshits! This will subside in a couple of days. This is a woman who grabbed her crotch, flipped off a crowd, spit on the ground, and national anthem fake outrage types that are mad at the NFL support her blindly now. We have numb nuts and numbskulls all over the place. This will, this too shall pass. Thank you, George Harrison. This too shall pass. So now we shift into the final concerns and thoughts I have about all this is, is Roseanne Barr racist? I don't know what racist even means all that much. I mean, I know what the definition is. I pulled it off from Webster's. I pulled it off the uh, the internet and printed it off. Racist. Noun. Racist. Plural noun. Racists. A person who shows or feels discrimination or prejudice against people of other races or who believes that a particular race is superior to another. Because you make a bad joke. Are you a racist? I've always looked at what is racism? The answer to that question being that if you believe that a certain group of people based on their skin color, or you can throw it in there and just, you know, you get semantics with the word based on their religious beliefs, based on whatever you want to throw in there, that you believe that their civil liberties should be infringed. If you believe that, then you are indeed a racist or a uh, or a bigot or a segregationist or whatever the word appropriate for whatever that conversation or debate or argument might be. But I will just tell you this as I wrap up the show here and get ready to call it a night is that stereotypes are real and wide street sweeping generalizations are a thing because there's truth to them at times. I'll come back to that in a second. What we all are, what I believe everybody in this country is, and potentially all around the world are, are ethnocentric. Ethnocentricism is the belief that your culture, the way that you live your life, is superior to others. And I think every one of us are a little bit ethnocentric. If you didn't believe that at least a little bit, if you weren't a little ethnocentric, then you would change the way you lived and you would change the way you interacted and socialized and, 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 and the environment of your culture. But because you don't, because you think that the way you live your life is the best way to do it, then there you go. You believe that you have the superior culture. 
that doesn't have necessarily anything to do with skin color. It certainly does have plenty to do with skin color in some situations, but in others, it has nothing to do with it at all. There's multiple layers of cultures amongst the uh, amongst Caucasians and multiple uh, layers of culture amongst African Americans and and every other race and creed and color out there. And so to go back to touch on stereotypes and wide sweeping generalizations, I like to feel like I'm one of the good guys. I am one of those guys that always wishes that everybody, whether I hate your guts or not, all gets an equal and fair shot. And I'm not delusional enough to believe that that's true, but it's what I wish would happen. And I have two examples of times where I could be, depending on how I worded it, who I was talking to, and what capacity I was having these conversations or digital or real interaction, where I could be labeled as potentially insensitive or maybe even a racist. When I uh, had a flat tire after the Bonnaroo planning meeting at the Lookouts game about three weeks ago, maybe closer to a month, I had a flat tire on East 23rd. It was Sunday afternoon. Every business that was on East 23rd uh, was basically closed. The few that actually are still businesses on that kind of uh, just dreck of a, of a stretch of downtown. It's one of the worst areas in the city. And I saw some black kids walking my way. They were young. They were, they were, they were kids, teenagers probably. And I saw them coming my way. And you know what I did? I got in my car and I rolled up the windows and I turned on the music and I put the AC on and I just sat there until they walked by. Why? I don't know. Is it because I'm racist? Is it because I'm using stereotypes and wide sweeping generalizations? What is it? I'm not exactly sure, but that's what I did. Now, am I racist because I did that? Was I, was I insensitive? Was I judgmental because of that? Was I profiling because of that? I'm not sure, but it indeed happened. Um, my neighbor to my left used to be Tim Boyd, that asshole that just tried to uh, uh, hopefully ends up getting uh, charged with extortion for in the uh, Hamlin County Commission race. He used to live next door to me. Now, I didn't like him. We didn't get along all that well. But he's a great neighbor, conservative, buttoned-up, mid-50s white guy. Liked to cut his grass, liked to work in the yard, liked to take care of the house. Hard to beat for a neighbor, right? Especially in America, with the American dream and everything. Well, he sold his house to people of Latino descent. And they're perfectly fine people. They're perfectly uh, friendly and pleasant people who do nothing but work hard and contribute to, to our community. But their culture and mine are completely different. And I am often disgusted by the way that they the way that they handle their property. Is that me being insensitive? Is that me being racist? Is that me being profiling? Or is it just me being ethnocentric? Is it just me being ethnocentric that my culture is superior to yours? In my mind, does that make me wrong? Does that make me bad? And the bigger, wider question is, does it make me a racist? I don't think that it does. I don't think it does at all. I don't have to like you, and you don't have to like me, and I don't have to give you a specific good reason to make you feel like it's a justifiable reason to dislike you. I don't have to like you. I can feel intimidated and concerned by anybody's presence because wide-sweeping generalizations and stereotypes are there for a reason. Because oftentimes, there's truth to it. 
And I think I'll put the wraps on the show uh, right there. Roseanne Barr, you know, I don't give a shit if she's got a show on TV or not. Um, I watched her roast from a few years ago, which I thought was pretty darn funny. The other, uh, it's it's old. It's been it's been out for a while now. Caught it back in uh, April. I think she's funny, and I watched a show growing up, and I don't care if she's got a show or not. But is she racist? I don't know. I don't really care. But just the mob mentality of just trying to say, you're fired because I don't like what you said, it's just, it sucks, man. It sucks, and it's scary, and you never can be too sure when it might happen to you. You might think it's, you know, absolutely great in settings where you see people that you, you know, Morgan Freeman, I, oh, dirty old man, Weinstein, all these people, Kevin Spacey. And maybe those are awful examples because of, of, of that story is still fresh on a couple of those. But... I, I'm, I'm failing to, to grab some other ones that might fit into that example uh, better, but you never know when something you do might be frowned upon by certain ethnocentric types who don't like the way you live your life and don't like your culture and don't like the way you do or don't make decisions. And they might just say, you know what? That person should be fired. That person should be publicly shamed. And the internet, social media, mob mentality, if I can get them behind us, we're going to go after that person and take them down. Why? Just so they can read their own tweets and Facebook posts until about five days from now when nobody remembers and nobody cares. Because the bottom line is, at the end of the day, of us average assholes running around, nobody really cares. They'll care for a couple minutes, and then something shiny and bright will fly by. And then they'll latch onto that and move away. And they won't care again and ask them again in a year what it was. And they probably won't even remember a thing about it. But you might be out of work and it might be life destroying situation. So be careful what you wish for. Careful what you, what you, what you potentially would support. And I'll just put the wraps on it there. Two long, drawn-out segments. If you guys are here and have been here the whole time, God bless you. I love you to death. And uh, if you've only been here for portions of it, I love you equally. And if you didn't listen to a damn bit of it, I also like you as well. Just don't love. Just like. I like you a lot. Like. I, I, I check the like box. Maybe. Maybe maybe the maybe like box. All right. I got to go. Uh, coming up next week, I'm going to do a... Uh, uh, just a preview of everything I'm planning on trying to catch at Bonnaroo. It'll be very uh, loose, very easy breezy, very safe, and very uh, just playing some music and talking about the bands I want to see as I get on out of town and hit up Bonnaroo, Manchester, Tennessee, the farm for five and a half days from Wednesday the 6th until June the 10th, maybe even into the 11th on Monday, depending on how things go. All right, I got to go. Take care. Love you guys. See you. Bye.